Nothing is more gay than this. Everyone's so gay. Everyone's so hot. There is absolutely something for everyone. Yep, that's a queer vibe. <laughs> she is gay. <laughs> Incredible. I'm like, this does not feel heterosexual at no. all. <laughs> this is a gay movie. Hello, everyone. I have a couple things I need to tell you before we get into this episode. So first thing is that the actor strike is over, which is so exciting. And not just because they got what sounds like a really great contract and everyone's going to be compensated more fairly and protected against AI, but also because it means that at long last, Jesse and I get to make an episode about the Star Trek Strange New Worlds musical, and you will be getting to hear that episode in two weeks from today. I am so excited for you all to listen to it, and I wanted to let you know about it ahead of time so that if you want to watch the episode ahead of our episode about it, you have a chance. So... You don't need to watch the whole show to be able to watch and enjoy the episode. Jesse hasn't watched the whole show. They just watched the musical for us to talk about it. You also don't need Paramount Plus. You can rent episodes of Strange New Worlds wherever you rent things on the internet. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that if you have been considering joining our sticker club, this is the perfect moment because in honor of our ongoing coverage of the His Dark Materials series, our friend Theo and I teamed up to make a sticker of me and Jesse as our demons making this podcast. It is so cute. I can't even. I'm really proud of it. And you're also going to love it. So you can join um, our sticker club either through our shop or through our Patreon. And speaking of Patreon... We are doing a big end-of-year Patreon push because since we stopped talking about Harry Potter, our income has gone down by around $1,000 a month. And since this is my full-time job, that's, you know, not sustainable for me any more than it would be for any of you to have your income suddenly go down by that much. So... We are asking, you know, since we're 100% listener funded, uh, we are asking you, our listeners, to consider joining us. Our Patreon is super fun. We do all sorts of bonus content over there. And, you know, most important of all, uh, you get to keep this podcast and all the podcasts that we make on the air. So please consider joining us or asking someone for the gift of a Patreon subscription for any gift-giving holidays that you celebrate at this time of year. And yeah, while you're at it, you know, supporting us, please leave us a written five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That is extremely helpful as well. That helps people decide to listen to our show, and that is a free way that you can support us. And... Check the show notes. Everything is there. And most of all, I think I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you who support us already, who are going to start supporting us, who have supported us in the past. Literally, this couldn't happen without all of you. Thank you. Thank you for making it possible and for keeping it possible. I love all of you very, very much. And so does Jesse. And 
with that, I'm going to stop talking and get into part one of our discussion of The Amber Spyglass by Philip Pullman. Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Planet, a podcast where two queer nerds talk about media we love. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blount, and today we're talking about the first 13 chapters of The Amber Spyglass. We sure are. In the first third of The Amber Spyglass, we have four storylines. One, Lyra is being imprisoned by Mrs. Coulter in a cave in the Himalayas, kept under a drugged sleep. A little girl named Ama finds out and gets a medicine to wake Lyra up. Two, Will finds Lyra is missing and teams up with the angels, Bitchy Balthamos and Softboy Baruch, who resentfully agree to help him find Lyra before taking him to Lord Azrael. Baruch leaves to give Azrael intel about the authority and dies in the process. Balthamos stays with Will and helps guide him. They team up with Yorick, who is moving his bear south to the mountains because the ice caps are melting. 3. The church and Azrael learn that Lyra is important, TM, so the church decides to kill her and Azrael decides to rescue her. Everyone arrives at the cave at the same time, including Will and Yorick, who team up with Ama to wake Lyra and escape into a different world, aided by two Galavespians, tiny people who serve as spies for Azrael's army. In the process, Mrs. Coulter does some of her witchy business on Will, which results in the knife being broken. However, he and Lyra are safe and everyone else is having a war. 4. Mary Malone, meanwhile, made it through Chittagatse safely and into a new world where she meets the Mulefa, an elephant-like people who live in perfect harmony with their environment. The I Ching tells Mary to hang out with them, so she's having a great time while everyone else is going through it, TM. To be continued. And for today's headline, Mary Malone, having the time of her life unlike everyone else. Yeah. And thank God, what a nice respite (laughs) for us every few chapters. (laughs) Ah, It's like, yes, tell me more about the biology, what you envision is happening in this world. I love it. Yeah. All right. So we are going to turn to the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else, which for me this week is very little. Same. Cool. All right. Why don't you start? Uh, I just want to say that it is a fun little parallel, whatever you want to call it, that we start off this book a little bit like when we start off in the first few chapters of the uh, Golden Compass with um, Miss Coulter lying and charming small children. Or not small children, but children. Yeah, that's true. Um, My first thing here is just that I am... So pleased by the inclusion of the fact that uh, Lady Salmachia is doing her spy job by having convinced some church dude that she's <laughs> a goddess. <laughs> I'm like, good for you. Oh yeah, it's just it's just absolutely perfect. Considering that like every dude from the Magisterium, especially in this book, you're just like, you are just the worst, terrible fucking human being. And you're just like, good, I'm glad some dude is being conned. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, just uh, one of the worlds that Will cuts into is full of blue buffalo-like animals. And I'm like, I want to be there. <laughs> that sounds mm-hmm. real rad. It sure does. Mm-hmm. I wonder, at this. I know we don't talk about the TV show on here, but I like 
when I read that line today, because this is my first time reading the books since I watched the show, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's part of why they decided to make the Mulefa kind of blue in the show. Because they were like, oh, what were those blue animals? They sounded rad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, my only other thing here this episode is absolutely not to the part where mary drinks milk out of someone else's nose you know (laughs) i was i think i was thinking about you when i read that and i'm like oh this seems much more gross now than i think i ever interpreted being and i feel like it is talking about (laughs) sorry (laughs) yeah no it's fine i'm like uh i would also be reluctant to consume this but you know it doesn't even matter that it's milk so much as the idea of drinking something that has been in someone else's nose is like the grossest thing it's so gross yeah it's pretty uh, gross. um i don't know if we're gonna talk about this but i just want to say that in general the sort of scene where will and yurik meet i feel like it just gives me chills just reading about it because like there's a lot of action in these first 13 chapters but I'm like i just get like straight up chills when they're just like staring each other down and then will's just like i'm just gonna chop up your fucking helmet into just shavings what are you gonna do now and i'm like this is this is incredible <laughs> yeah totally i completely agree and it's really nice because all last book i feel like lyra kept being like will just really reminds me of yorick and then we see them meet and you're like yes you you two are vibing so hard right now. Yeah, she was she was correct, and they, yeah. It's also a really lovely parallel to, you know, Lyra's beginning with Yorick when the townspeople of Trollisend are, like, trying to take him down, and he's gonna kill that guy, and she just, like, puts herself in the middle and is like, no, you owe me a life debt. I'm using it up on this dude. So that's really nice, too. Yeah. Welcome to Community Profiles, where we talk about characters. We have so many new characters. <laughs> we do. I really only, I only took specific notes about four people. Okay. Starting with Coulter, I think, obviously. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about this. Here's my question. Is like, obviously, we don't know what's up with her. But my question is, does she know? I don't know if she does, honestly. And I feel like I say that because in the chapters with Miss Coulter, I feel like we get the most emoting from her demon than we ever get, than we've had in the previous two books. Besides him just being a, like, very vicious creature. It seems like the golden monkey is mad at her. So I feel like she's just kind of, like, taking it day by day and, like, doesn't quite know maybe it's some like combination of guilt maternal affection the sort of just like oh fuck what the fuck is the church gonna do to me yeah it really seems like right it's like moment to moment whether she feels like she's there to actually protect lyra or if she's there to control lyra you know i mean we see in that scene when she just fucking backhands her like it can flip on a dime is that the saying yeah And the fact that, right, her demon is like, I am so bored. This is so boring. I need to literally torture things to deal with the lack of outlet for our 
evil that is available right now. It's wild. What a wild time yeah. she's going through. Right. And it's even like in chapter 12 when half of the plot points converge onto this valley and Miss Coulter like has her gun out and it's just like, are you going to turn everyone over to the Magisterium? Are you just going to murder a bunch of Magisterium dudes and wait for Azrael? Like what? It's just kind of, I mean, obviously she just kind of waits for Azrael, but it's just like, whose side are you on? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think she's very much on her side at this yes. point. And I don't think she knows what her side is, which is, I mean, I feel bad for her, despite the fact that I'm still, like, shocked by how evil she is. Oh, yeah. She's she's <laughs> she's definitely uh, up there for, like, worst mom category. Yeah, not winning any awards for her mothering. No. So, yeah, it's an interesting place for her to be in. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think that it at least is a little bit nice that maybe... Perhaps when Lyra is older, she'll look back at this frankly weird situation and feel some sort of affection for Miss Coulter for being what Lyra thinks is protecting her from something, even if that is not at all the case. And maybe not knowing the truth of that, the truth, the actual truth of it is great for her. Yeah, I mean, I think we see that already, right? In chapter 13, doesn't she say something along the lines of I think she I think she cared for me I think she was being kind to me and it's like can can that be true while someone is keeping you drugged in a cave you know I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I mean sure I feel like one might negate the other um do you have anything else about Coulter I do not who do you have next do you want to talk about our gay angels? I do. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. I am going to try really hard not to butcher these names. Bathamos and Baroque show up at the end of the last book and are more actual characters in this book. They're gay angels. I love them. Bathamos is just such a bitchy gay. <laughs> so bitchy. I love him with my whole heart. <laughs> And I feel like there's a line where it's like, what is it? Something like, uh, Bathamos could love every living thing if he could ever overlook all of their, like, flaws. And I'm like, I feel like this is a very apt description for an astrology sign. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all I have in my notes is just astrological sign. But, yeah, I'm just, I'm like, (laughs) that is such a vibe. (laughs) It is such a vibe. I feel... I feel that I feel like I I definitely have moments where I feel that way really profoundly. Um, yeah, no, I like up until the point where Baruch dies, I feel like everything that Balthamos says, I highlighted it in my book because <laughs> I just love it. I he's so rude. <laughs> and I think maybe because I have had our flag means death in the brain. I feel like at some point I'm just like reading it in Lucius's voice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, that's totally accurate. (laughs) Um, I love, okay. What do I love? I feel like I was trying to decide what line I love the most and I can't. There's a lot to choose from. I think. I know I do. I'm, 
when Will is getting every, when he's, you know, scavenging the camp, right? And he asks, do you think I need anything else? And the most is like, you could do with some sense. <laughs> Just like that. That is so rude. I love it. I know. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, it is unfortunate that Will could not appreciate <laughs> what's happening, but I guess in his life or death situation, it's kind of like you're not helping my dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is, yeah, yeah. but... <laughs> Right. I wouldn't say that Will has maybe a particularly honed sense of humor, especially in this very tense survival situation. Yeah, no, he's a pretty serious guy. Yeah. Not a lot of jokies. Which is honestly, honestly unfortunate. Yeah. But yeah. And then uh, R.I.P. Himbo Baroque. We hardly knew ye. But the description of just like, the intensity of their relationship and just like, I love everything about this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. They just seem, they seem like a really good match for each other, even though they're so different, you know, and Baroque is just, yeah. So, so sweet and, you know, tender and yeah, their love is just so pure. I, so there's the line when Will asks, I think he asked Balthamos, like, are you a man? And he's like, I was never a man. Baruch was, but now he's angelic. And that makes me feel like, you know, and because we also had before when Rudiscati sees the angels, you know, it's like she sees, you know, two men and two women, but that's just because her mind expected to see that. And you know, that's not really what angels look like or whatever. And it made me feel like the gender of angels is sort of the non-binary experience of if you're attracted to me, you're gay. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like, I think that they are gay angels, but I don't think that they're like capital G gay angels. I think that they're queer angels because I don't think that an angel who has been an angel the whole time has a gender in a meaningful way right yeah and it doesn't seem like gender matters to angels you become an angel and that's just that is your identity right is being angelic so yeah they're they are queer angels for sure yeah and when i was reading it i was kind of just like i feel like i mean i guess a phil pullman's still an old white dude with like old white dude views of gender but it really does seem kind of like people's perception of uh, both of the angels is just kind of with Ruta Scotty, where it's like maybe they sound kind of mask, so it's like, oh, this is a this is a this is a boy angel, you know? Right. Yeah. Or I mean, if their true form is more architecture, then I feel like it had an alliteration that was really lovely, but I can't remember what it was. But you know, maybe it's like the ones that she interprets as male are more. I don't know, like clean lines and the ones that she interprets as female are more like rounded, you know, and she associates those things with like masculinity and femininity. And so that's how it's interpreted when she turns them into winged beings, because that's what angels are in her world. Yeah. So it's uh, uh, our, our, our deco versus uh, 
Art Nouveau. That's Art what Nouveau. For. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The angels are Art Nouveau and uh, Art Deco. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about Mary? Let's talk about Mary. Having the best storyline so far. <laughs> Mary's living her best life being a scientist in a new world with a sort of clear looking ecosystem, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's funny because she talks about how, you know, she kind of stuck with the hard sciences and really like focused in on physics. So presumably she never really spent a lot of time studying the soft sciences, which includes anthropology. But I'm like, you are the best anthropologist. Like you get it. Learn their language learn their customs, integrate yourself into their community, bringing none of your bullshit and hangups, just learn. And she's like, yeah, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to learn. Like down to the part where she's like, yeah, I can tie knots by myself with two hands, but like, why would I when I could do it communally like they do? I know. (sighs) So good. I love her. Yeah. She doesn't like, she teaches them like three words in English and is like, but why would we talk in English? Like, I'm at your house. Like, I'm speaking your language. Yeah. And the, oh God, I'm going to, I'm sorry, everyone in advance. I'm definitely going to pronounce it's like the sandwich. The muffaletto? Muffaletto. Mulefa. Mulefa. Thank you. Yeah. And like the mulefa are awesome. And they're just like, hello, friend. And yeah, just her, right. Learning about their fucking cool wheels and the ginormous trees is just, ugh. I'm just, I'm like a little bit jealous. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. It sounds very peaceful mm-hmm. in a way that's unimaginable in the world that we live in. Oh know? god, yes. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Do you have anyone else here? I just have one small thing, which we'll talk more in detail about later. I I really love the part where we see Yurik, like he's he's trying to do right by his people. He's like, we gotta find where there's ice. I also gotta make this detour to like honor my friend Lee Scoresby by eating him, which I just really love that part in a way that's I don't know how to explain. I too love it so much. I think it's so beautiful. Yeah. I know it's kind of weird to be like, oh I love that part, but it's lovely. Yeah. And I think and even more so I feel like Lee Scorsby would, would get a kick out of it. Oh, yeah. I think <laughs> when he, because doesn't he, when his ghost escapes from the world of the dead, I think that he says he's going to find Yorick before he turns into Adams and goes to find Hester. And I feel like when Yorick is going to, you know, says, yeah, I, I ate you, Lee is going to be like, thank you so much. Like, what an honor. Yeah. My friend. And I just love that. I know. And then he's like, I'm going to wreak vengeance in an avenger and i'm like yes <laughs> uh-huh. what a good friend <laughs> right yeah and it's just deeply lovely because we get a lot about how bare emotions are like a little bit alien and i'm kind of like yurik loves his his humans his like select humans and i'm like it's just so cute yeah it's really nice anyway that was my only bit of development in which Eric is in the world with some bears doing new things, making, making new friends. Yeah. 
Welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up. Okay. Um all of my things here are about what we see of the magisterium and a little bit about the fake god. <laughs> That we learn about. So uh, wherever you want to start works for me. Yeah, the first thing I have is that we learn a lot about both the authority and the world of the dead here. Mm -hmm. You know, the authority was the first angel to come into being. We also learned that angels are made of dust, basically, because, you know, even atoms have gravity that attracts them to other atoms and they form into conscious beings and so the authority was the first one and then just lied to everyone that came after and was like i totally made you and then you know as conscious beings evolved across all of the timelines he was like i totally made you too and it just was never true um so that's super fucked up yeah it's very much like whenever you consume a story about cult leaders it's just like oh no the authority is just a con angel and everyone else except for satan lilith the morning star whoever that balthamos and baruch are they're like that that is who we are working for the one angel who found out the truth about the authority so like a select group of other angels know but for the most part the like multiverse and even other angels don't. And probably because we have the Metatron, who is just, you know, the sword hand of the authority, out probably smiting the shit out of people who are like, oh, but, mm, really? Are you sure this right. is the thing? Yeah, and because we also learned that Metatron is like, oh, people across all of the timelines are, you know, becoming too conscious, basically, and we're going to have to, you know, buckle down on that by controlling the churches and making them afraid and whatever. Um, because they just, like, it seems like they just want power. Also, like, why else do you create the land of the dead other than to be like, haha, I can? Because it's not like they're it's doing anything, you know? It just... Right. It's like, oh, you thought you were going to heaven? You were doing all this shit in your life to go to heaven? Soik! Mm-hmm. Land of the dead. Yep, exactly. And even just the idea of Metatron and the authority being like, no, we gotta make churches more fascist. And it's like, really? Because the Magisterium also already has, like, you know, Lyra's world under their boot. I mean, just look at any fundamentalist christian bullshit happening in our world just like really you guys y'all need more power you know i think it spoiler for have you read the books of dust yes okay so i've only read the first one so listeners spoiler for the first book of dust whatever we see in that book lyra's world very very different than the lyra's world that we know from these books and it's mm -hmm. only like what 20 years later that you know the golden compass starts after la belle sauvage and so i feel like we see what metatron has accomplished by being like we need to make churches more fascist which is like a huge backslide in what their society looks like you know yeah. it's working 
I think that's exactly what they're going for across all of the timelines is like, how can we make, how can we take progress back several notches so that we have more control? Yeah. uh, You know, not at all relevant to our current day situation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then we get just a progression of terrible priests (laughs) in these chapters. Like we get sort of one of the powerful secretive branches of the magisterium being like, we got to murder Lyra. Rather the world end than dust and sin. And I'm like, y'all really trying to end the multiverse so people aren't curious and interested in the world and like maybe want to fuck somewhere in there. Which honestly just feels like also today where it's like, y'all, the planet is on fire and y'all want to worry about abortion and like trans people? Like, come on. Right. Totally. So, yeah. And then Father Gomez being his all other can of just whatever sort of weird sexual thing is going on with his flagellation. Yeah, I wrote... um... R.I.P. Lee Scoresby, you would have loved to kill Father Gomez. I just have in my notes, uh, BDSM for God. (laughs) I roll. Totally. (laughs) He is, ooh, God, he's so profoundly unsettling. Yeah. And he's just so thrilled to go out in a kill a preteen girl for god it's just like oh yeah yeah the church it's bad i think along those lines i also want to say philip pullman apparently really just wants to have sexual abuse in his books all the time if he can um i get that it was important i think that it was important to work you know catholic child sex abuse into this story i get that but i also hate this priest like trying to do whatever it is he's trying to do to will you know he's so creepy it's i think maybe i actually don't know i i actually i honestly don't think it's doing much for the story besides being like wow priests are really shitty and i'm like you don't need to convince me about the shittiness of dudes in position of religious power who are basically unchecked abusing people. Like I already know that I don't need, I don't need this like creepy priest who was probably sent to this middle of nowhere, Russia town because he was clearly out of control with his being a creep on children. And just, yeah, this whole thing with, Will, I'm just like, Oh, Oh, Oh God, he's just the worst. And Will is just trying so hard to be like, I need to leave now. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be here. Very glad that his stranger danger is on 11, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't understand why Philip Pullman is like, no, I I should have at least one sexual predation scene per book, actually. I think this is a great thing for me to do. Honestly, I wonder if it's just like a white... Like, not just a white dude thing, but I feel like so many white dudes do that, where it's 
often not done in a way that couldn't have been done with some other kind of trauma to your main character or in a way that doesn't feel shitty to read, you know, yeah. or like doesn't, or where it actually, because I think there's ways to write about like a character experiencing a variety of like sexual assault situations in a way that is, you know, what is going on as a reader and you can see the fallout from the character, but it isn't something that you're like, I actually don't actually want to read this. <laughs> what the way that you're describing what's happening. Yeah. So I, someone needs to have a talk with him, I think. Yeah. And I feel like the information that we get from him is just, I mean, really not worth having this scene where this priest is trying to get well drunk and take advantage of him. Yeah, I mean, this dude could have just been, like, a nice dude that Will met moving through town. Could have been not a priest. Could have been just some guy who was like, oh no, a kid, alone. Do you need food? Are you okay? Do you need information? And yeah. then, you know, Will could have gotten that information and then gone on his way without anything creepy happening, and that would have been lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I realized that often in my rereads, I like skip a lot of this because I'm just like, this is, I, I don't like reading it and I don't think it's necessary. But this time when I was reading it, I'm like, this is so much worse than I remember, than I remember this scene being. There's just yeah. so much more touching involved that I'm like, why is this dude like touching like your legs and just like your, uh, and I'm just like, oh. Yeah, it's gross. Uh, I will say that the fact that we learn through this creepy priest that the church also hates armored bears and witches makes so much sense, but we don't, this is the first time we actually hear someone being like, those are godless creatures and we should get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Oh God. And that, that dude trying to be like, don't, when you get older, the witch will want to try to like suck out your soul through your dick. And I'm like, what is that? Why are you telling this kid this? What the fuck? Yeah. It's super weird. Uh, yeah what else do you have i really that's kind of the most of it okay yeah the last thing i have here is actually about mrs coulter which is just to point out that she is so terrifying that roger says that it's good to be in the world of the dead an objectively terrible place because mrs coulter can't get him there like that is Snape being Neville's greatest fear level badness, you right. know? Right. I mean, she is terrifying, so... But yeah, that is... It's, it's crushing. And also just like, oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to editorials where we rant about stuff. We have Azrael here being like, is Lyra important should i like <laughs> think about her ever weird what a novel idea two books later <laughs> um it's so funny and i feel like you know you and i are both pretty horny for azriel and we both listened to the her dark materials podcast which we should tell people you were recently a guest on and i'll link to the episode in the show notes and they hate Azrael with like a fiery passion. And every time they talk about him, because basically their entire 
take is based in, is Azrael a good dad? And it makes me think about these TikToks that I used to see and haven't in forever where this person, it was literally like, she would just start, she would talk about a different famous person and be like, for example, Charles Darwin was a great man, but was he a good dad? And then would give you a little history lesson about Charles Darwin's parenting. And I feel like that's how I think about Azrael is like, he is a great man. He is doing great things. He is killing God, hottest thing you can do. But is he a good dad? No, he's a terrible dad. The worst, I mean, not the worst dad, but a very bad dad. Yeah. Of the list of dads that we see Lyra collect, he's definitely on the bottom of that list. (laughs) Yes, 100%. (sighs) Absent is like one of the best ways that one can be a bad dad, I feel like. But it's still a shitty way to be a dad. Yeah. Well, you know, he's too busy with his... Mordor-sized war machine building, whatever you call when you're building a bunch of shit to go to war. Right. I'm like, you're under a volcano. Like, what is going on? (laughs) I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Jesus. I actually don't think I have any rants here. Okay, I only have one other, which I think technically was a politics point, but I was trying to spread things out. Mm-hmm. Um, are the Tuolapi, the birds, are are they just an allegory for white people? Oh, I literally have this. as I have in my notes, the Tuolapi birds are white because colonization. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they like show up looking like sailboats from who knows where destroy everything shit on everything and then leave i was like yeah that's what's happening here right yeah it's not it's not a very subtle metaphor it still makes me laugh yeah yeah i'm glad yeah philip pullman doesn't do subtle super (laughs) super well um but that's fine not everything has to be subtle uh but yes they're definitely like that because colonization um okay wait uh I do have I do have a rant. Okay. In which the Gillespians? Galavespians. Galavespians. So fucking cool. Obviously. Oh my god, they're so cool. We meet a lot of cool people, peoples in this book. But they're so fucking cool. They're like, I'm running on a blue hawk. I'm like six inches tall. I'm spying on everyone. I'm just like, y'all are so fucking cool. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love them. And we get like, I mean, we get three people, three Galavespians, but they're just fucking rad. Yeah. I love, uh, I think everything about them. I love that they are only good spies because they're tiny, because actually they're like really confrontational. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Oh, they're just great. I know. And it's actually, it's actually kind of perfect that they have such a like force of presence that ev- that it's always played for serious whenever they're actively interacting with humans. Yeah, and just like, yeah, they're great. Yeah, they really are. 
Welcome to the health and science section where we talk about magic and science and research that we did. I'm going to start with the Malefa. We get so much cool shit that Mary is seeing in their world. I mean, number one, giant ass trees, like skyscraper sized trees. Uh, Mary describes one as being the width of her house (laughs) in Mm -hmm. Oxford. And I want to be, I want to be near a tree that big. And that, right, the Mulefa have evolved to be able to use the seed pods and the trees for like wheels to like ride these like volcano created natural roads. It's just, it's just some of my favorite world building. It's just so cool. But more importantly, because we're getting it through the perspective of Mary, who is a scientist, it feels so believable. I think it's just some of my favorite fantasy world building ever. Even if I still have a really hard time envisioning how the Mulefa move because they, they're in like a diamond shape. I'm just like, what? I don't understand still. I don't think anyone does. I have looked for like fan art of Mulefa. Literally everyone draws something with a central spine. I feel like I was talking about this with Evan and he was like, I can absolutely picture it and drew me kind of a picture of something with like, you know, a diamond frame with basically ribs that arch across the whole thing. But that sounds extremely fragile, you know? I feel like they would have to have an exoskeleton for the shape to work. I don't think, I don't know how they would be flexible, you know? I guess what I have envisioned is that they must be really, they must be ripped. Like the muscular you would need to make that work. I just feel like with the sort of diamond shape, I think it really only makes sense if you're, if they're just like muscles, like muscles and places to like support their bodies, which I mean, how else do you support being an invertebrate without having exoskeleton or being in the ocean? Right. I mean, their spine would have to be diamond shaped, but then how do you, it, it's really impossible. Um, I like that the show was like, we're not even fucking trying. Like, honestly, that's also, fair. Sorry, listeners, it's hailing. I'm sure that that's in the background. It's hailing? It does that so much here. Like, all the fucking time. Weird. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. Maybe they just have cartilage. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. It's a mystery. It truly is a mystery. <laughs> oh. Um, my first note here is that I love that demons are like universal translators. Uh, I think that's really neat. And also kind of, I don't know if it's confusing that people talk out loud to their demons if they commune telepathically, but it seems like a little bit weird that they talk out loud when they can commune telepathically. It must depend on the demon, considering that we never get dialogue from the golden monkey. No, but we do get the golden monkey said something several times in these chapters, which feels really weird. I'm like, does that mean he like chittered like a monkey or does that mean he said words? It doesn't make sense that he would make monkey sounds. He's not a monkey. He's a person. Yeah. But 
they don't talk and all of a sudden they're they're talking it must be the through the psychic connection between people and their demons and honestly now that you're saying that it's interesting about demons being sort of universal translators then that would if you take it the next step further it's like well how and then do demons have a common language between each other Mm. maybe i mean i think that it's probably just that they're magic you know is really the only explanation i can think of but maybe who knows yeah (laughs) it's convenient but also a little bit confusing in terms of previous world building yeah yeah i mean it could also be inconsistent world building too so yeah um yeah what do you have next i have a little bit more about the mulefa uh mary mentions that the mulefa trunk can like change textures and strength which clearly the uh, Mulefa's trunk is based off of an elephant trunk, which is very sensitive and the elephant can do a lot with the little two, it's basically just like the, like two lips of their trunk. Um, But honestly, what Mary's description reminded me of is octopus tentacles, which on top of also changing color can also change texture. Um, I don't, having not touched an octopus, I don't know tactilely like how much they can change the texture of their tentacles and their skin but that is what that reminded me of yeah that makes sense uh yeah i think my last thing here is going to be that we see more what we would call witchiness from mrs coulter here i 100 percent think that she genuinely put some sort of spell on Will and that it wasn't just like teenage boy like oh Lyra's mom is hot and I know I absolutely believe her that she did not intend to break the knife but I also absolutely believe the line that Will suddenly saw his mom's face instead of Mrs. Coulter's face to be literal I think that that was like a magic projection that she did to distract him because of course it would distract him. It went a little far, you know, <laughs> she, Yeah, um, got more than she anticipated with that. But I, I fully believe that she is working her, her powers here meaningfully. No, I, I agree with that because we talked about, we've talked, we talked about previous how, Azriel has some sort of magical ability to like summon things to his will essentially. And cause again, how is he able to coordinate a multi-world gathering of people to fight God? He, he's, there's a group text, like how? <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. And right. Like Rudiscotti said, he's clearly doing some sort of time bending to have achieved everything he's achieved in such a small amount of time too. Right. So it, and since we get witches who have a very, like they have better control over their magic we see in Lyra's world, it does not surprise me that, it would not surprise me for 
Miss Coulter to also have some sort of seductive magic of her own. Yeah, and I think we've talked about I think we talked about that in one of our previous episodes too. That yeah. she's definitely working with right some sort of not not the kind of witchy magic that we see from the witches but sort of like manifestation magic right and i don't remember if i talked about this last time i probably did and if witch sons are out in the world presumably you know so it wouldn't surprise me and especially because of course lyra would have magical parents (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) who have this very intense capital I relationship magnetism thing going on. Yeah, for sure. All right. My last thing is that the Gala Vespians, literally every time I've reread this book, since I read it the first time when I was 14, I was envisioning their spurs like little cowboy spurs, where it's like like a leather and metal contraption that has poison in it. Only, literally only today, when I was listening to the audiobook at work, was I like, wait, do they have bone spurs coming out of the back of their heels? They do. This is a part of their physical body. I am just like, wait, I, that is, this is not at all what I've envisioned. This like totally changes my view of them. Um, and as listeners may or may not know, the only poisonous mammal that exists is the platypus um the males have poisonous spurs on their back feet for fighting other male platypi and then i'm just like do the galavispians have platypi in their world fun fact it's platypuses platypuses (laughs) do the do the do the galavispians have little platypuses in their world like are there other mammals that just have that are poisonous like what a wild train of thought, I guess. I mean, I think it makes sense if their world is not a world of miniature things. If they are small, very, very small predators, basically, right? Yeah. We are predators in our food chain they would have to evolve to have something to make that possible for them to have become sapient yeah. uh, at their size. That presumably works on other mammals. Right. Because who knows what the biology of a Galavespian body versus a human body, but the poison works on us, on people, on humans. Right. So, yeah. I, I already love them. It's just fun to think more about, like... What kind of world do y'all come from? So curious. Yeah, I I love them so much. I know. All right. We did it in record time. I'm so proud of us. Woohoo. Um, all right. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of The Gaily Planet. Please check the show notes for all of the things, including all of the ways you can support us, because that would be nice. And until next time. Eve. Angel Hierarchy, Dragonfly.